Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament passage of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter and chapter number 1. The book of 1 Peter and chapter number 1. We are in our series of the book of 1 Peter with the idea of strengthen thy brethren. And we know that the apostle Peter, as he was converted, as he had made a decision to follow after Christ, that Christ had worked in his life and did quite a bit, and that the answer to Jesus' prayer, his prophecy that Peter was to strengthen the brethren, comes in the book of First and Second Peter. That here we could see these ingredients, these encouragements to be strong in the Lord, especially with persecution right around the corner. And so with this, let's be encouraged and strengthened from God's word from the book of 1 Peter in chapter number 1. The book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and notice with me starting at verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, for now... For though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And if you would notice the phrase that we find in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 and the end verse 7, the appearing of Jesus Christ. And here we see this emphasis to be strong until his appearing, the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, there's mo no more thrilling doctrine found within the Word of God than the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And again, most people are interested in prophecy and they put a lot of things in the signs and wonders. But let me tell you, what really makes it interesting is that it's the Christ of the second coming. It's Christ that we're looking for. Jesus is coming back. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Christ. We're not looking for signs and wonders. We're looking for Christ. We're not looking for things to fall into place. We're looking for Christ. He is the one of the second coming. He's the one that we can trust. He's the one that we can depend upon and that we're thankful that we can. And so as we don't mind, let's walk through the book of 1 Peter chapter number 1 here. And I want you to be encouraged with this. Now remember, Jesus Christ is God who was robed in flesh. He was born upon this earth and he lived in this world, living the same life that you and I live, went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and pay for mine. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, but that's not the end of the story. On the third day, he rose again, and he's alive forevermore. And it is a living Savior who is coming back. It is a living hope that we have that Jesus Christ is coming again. 
we're thankful that we can study the second coming of Jesus Christ, that we're looking for the Christ of the second coming. As we examine this passage and we're to be strengthened until he comes, there are a couple things I want to show you. First of all, the assurance of our salvation. The assurance of our salvation. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Notice this. Who are kept... By the power of God through faith unto salvation. That's a wonderful phrase. Who are kept by the power of God. I'm so thankful that I am kept by God's power. What does that mean? Well, we know that we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And when that happens... The Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to live inside of us. And it cannot be separated from us. Imagine, if you don't mind, we would have a bucket. And in this bucket, we take a sponge. And we put it in there and let the sponge get thoroughly soaked. When we take the sponge out, or leave the sponge in the water, would we say that the sponge is in the water, or the water is in the sponge? The answer is both. That they become part of each other. The water is in the sponge and the sponge is in the water. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit who is a God becomes a part of us. And it cannot be separated out. That we're thankful for that. Now because of God's Spirit that God promised us that he is going to bring us to heaven. This gives us what we would say the assurance of our salvation. What does that mean? That means I have God's promise that I'm forgiven of my sins. And I have God's promise that he is going to uh, take me to heaven. I have God's promise that he is coming back for me. That's why the second coming of Jesus Christ is such a wonderful doctrine. That Christ is going to keep his word. Now about this salvation, hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter number two. The book of Ephesians chapter number two. I want to give you some encouragement on the salvation that we have. Now remember, what is salvation? Salvation is recognizing that I'm a sinner and because of my sin that I've offended a holy righteous God. And that I realize that because of my sin I deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. But I also realized that Jesus died for me because God loved me so much. And Jesus paid my price. And I came to the place where I personally asked Jesus to be my Savior. Well, the Bible says how this is accomplished in Ephesians chapter 2. Notice with me verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved. What is grace, by the way? It's could be an acronym for God's riches at Christ's expense. That God has given me something I don't deserve. I don't deserve forgiveness of sins. I don't deserve to go to heaven. But God, by His grace, has provided it for me. For by grace are ye saved. By what means? Through faith. Remember, we've spoken a lot about faith in recent days. Faith is looking unto Jesus, trusting in Him and Him alone. There is absolutely nothing I can do to make myself saved. There's nothing I can do to make myself less <laughs> saved. There's nothing I can do to make myself more perfect. There's nothing I can do. It's trusting in Christ and Christ alone. For by grace ye are saved through faith. 
and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, someone may say, well, I feel like I have to do something for my salvation. Well, that's pride. We can't do anything about it. God's given just his grace. Why would he do it in such a manner? Why wouldn't he make it so we could have a hand in salvation? Well, because of this. The Bible says, not of works, lest any man should boast. If we could somehow work our way to heaven or pay our way to heaven, this is the conversation. Don't you think we'd all be talking about life on earth and the millennial kingdom? Hey, how'd you get here? Well, let me tell you about how great I am. How'd you get to heaven? Well, I paid a million dollars and it got me in. How'd you do in? Well, I fed orphans. How'd you get in? Well, what would happen is that if salvation was based off of our works, when we got to heaven, all we would do is brag on ourselves. But God has made it as a free gift, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. God has made it so that way when we get to the millennial kingdom, when we get to heaven, when we get with the Lord, all we could do is people said, how'd you get here? I'm a sinner. Jesus saved me. How'd you get here? By the grace of God. How'd you get here? Jesus paid my price. How'd you get here? I don't deserve to be here, but because of God's grace that I'm here. God has made it, so he did all the work. May I remind you that even a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. All we do is accept the free gift that God has given to us. Jesus did all the work. That's wonderful. Now turn back with me to the book of 1 Peter, if you don't mind. The 1 Peter chapter number 1. And as we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, the first thing that we see here is the assurance of our salvation. That God had promised us. He had settled it. The first thing that every Christian has to have settled is assurance of salvation. What do I mean by that? That they need to know that by God's promises they're forgiven of their sins. Because if they do not have it, they may be saved, but if they're not sure that they're saved, what they're going to end up doing is serving God in order to keep their place. In order to get their place. In order to keep on good side. And so what they're doing is they serve God in order to get something back. God wants us to serve God because of what he's already done. The motive is completely different. We want to serve God with pure motives. So Christ has done all the work and he has given us promises. You know what? I told you to turn back to 1 Peter. Forgive me for that. We're going to come back here in a second. But let me show you another promise. Look with me in the book of John chapter 10. The gospel record of John chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now I want to show you this because I want to nail it down deep. I want you to know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. And why do we know it? Not because I feel like it. I'm glad it's not based off of feelings. Because there are some days that you wake up and you don't feel saved. There are some days you wake up and you don't look saved. There are some days you wake up and you don't smell saved. But I'm thankful that it's not based off of me. It's based off God's wonderful promise. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the gospel record of John chapter 10. The gospel record of John chapter 10. Notice what Jesus says about this. John chapter 10. And notice with me, if you don't mind, looking at verse number 27. John chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
I give unto them eternal life, and they never shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Oh, think about this. That God said here, that Jesus said, that you are placed in my hand. I'm the great shepherd, and you're placed in my hand, and no man can pluck you out. You are safe in my hand. You can't pry the fingers loose. You can't wiggle them out. But listen, that's not all. On top of that, you're placed in the Father's hand. And God, no one could pluck you out of His hand either. That's double protection. That what that's telling you is that salvation, once you have it, God has given to you as a free gift, it can't be taken away. It can't be lost. It can't be misplaced. That God will never divorce us. He'll never disown us. He'll never kick us out. Oh, what a wonderful promise that is that God has given to us. That gives us assurance. Now someone say, well, doesn't that give us an excuse to sin? Absolutely not. What that does is the opposite. Is that when I realize how much I've been forgiven and all that he's done for me, there should be a desire in me to be pleasing to him because of what he's done. And now it's not because I have to, it's because I want to. It's not because I have to, it's because I'm thankful. Motives have changed. I don't have to do anything to keep my salvation, so therefore I'm not working for me. I'm working for the Lord because of what he's done. Isn't it God gracious to do that for us? And so we come starting as we're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first thing that's nailed down in this passage is the assurance of our salvation. That God made us a promise and he can't lie. And he kept his word. And as the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Who are kept by the power of God? How are we kept saved? How are we kept with this eternal life? Through the power of God. Through faith, again, we saw that in the book of Ephesians. This is the medium. We're trusting God. We spoke about this on Wednesday. That from faith to faith, that it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. We have nothing to do with it. God does it all. God does it all. That's what faith is speaking about here. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Jesus Christ is coming back and he's promised us that he's going to bring us home. He's promised us forgiveness of sins, promised that we're going to be with him and we're looking forward. That is our hope, our living hope is that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Not only the assurance of our salvation, but in this passage here, we also see the trial of our faith. The trial of our faith. Notice with me in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. This manifold temptations isn't the idea that he is tempting us to sin, but it is another word for trials. That you're in manifold trials. You're at the place where you have to trust God. This is your trial. Will I trust God? Will I not trust God? You're in manifold. And remember, this happens all the time. It doesn't mean that uh, the government's coming to take you away, but it can be that you are now 
in the decision, am I going to trust God or am I not going to trust God? Do I depend on myself or do I depend on God? That you have these manifold trials. Verse number seven, that the trial of your faith, notice this, the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found to the praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Here it's speaking about the trial of our faith. Notice three phases that we find here in verse 6. It says, for a season. Notice the phrase, if need be. Notice the phrase, manifold temptations. God uses these manifold temptations to do a work in us. Notice the phrase, if need be. Here we could see that these manifold uh, temptations, these trials of your faith that come in, that if need be, this phrase carries the idea that they have a purpose. Do you know that the trials you go through has a purpose? There's a reason for it. And God is doing it to help you be the person you ought to be while you're on this earth before you face God. What a wonderful God that we have. Wherein you greatly rejoice. You know we could rejoice when we have problems. We could rejoice when we have trials. Why? Because God is doing a work within us. He loves us. He's working in us. What is he doing in us? Verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perish. Though it be tried with fire. What's happening is that these trials are like fire in our life. And the reason why fire is used at a forge, speaking of gold, is to purify it. Back in the ancient world, and by the way, still today in the modern world, though we use a little bit more chemical process, but what they do in the ancient world is they would take some gold, a lump of gold, and they would heat it up. And as it would heat it up, what would happen is that inside of the heated metal, there are different elements become, have different densities where they melt. And so what happens is that the heavier stuff will fall to the bottom, which would be the gold, and the impurities, which are lighter, will float to the top. And you would scrape off the impurities. This is called the dross. And they would scrape it off. And the gold would become a little bit more pure. And then another trial of fire would hit up. They would put it in the fire. They would heat it up. And the heating's not fun, I'm sure, for the gold, if the gold was able to speak. But as you go through the process, it begins to melt down again. It begins moldable. And the impurities that are left will rise up to the top. And they would scrape off the dross. This is the process that God uses in our life concerning our relationship and faith for Him. That God puts us in trials. And remember the trial of your faith. What is our faith? Our faith is not like, am I going to make it? Am I? It's not about us. It's, are we looking at Jesus? Are we looking at Him? Are we trusting in Him? Realizing it's not me, it's all about Him. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. So the trial comes up. And the trial is, not are you going to lose your attitude? How are you going to do? It's, will you trust God? You say, but I'm going through horrible things right now. The Bible says rejoice. Because God is doing this refining process in your life. He's working on you to get the impurities out of your life. Here it talks about that the trials of your faith 
are much more precious than gold that perish. God is looking at these trials and when you look at him and trust in him and obey him, he says, oh, that's precious. Oh, there we go. We're molding what the instrument I need, the testimony that I need. We're molding it now. They're learning that I am trustworthy. They're learning that they can depend upon me. That is precious. It's looking unto Jesus. And these trials help us. They help us to see when we fail and when we don't fail. You know these trials, if you could often learn much more from our failures than our successes. We could look back and say, you know what, I missed an opportunity. I kicked and screamed and hollered and threw a fit. And I could have just trusted God. You know what, next time I'm going to remember that's what I need to do. And next time when you go through the trial, if you remember that, you know what, I'm not going to mess up this time. I'm going to look up to God. Praise the Lord. God's doing a refining process. He's doing a work that the trial of our faith is much more precious. God's trying to remove the impurities. And by the way, that other phrase I told you to notice, not only the manifold temptation, not only the phrase, if need be, which carries the idea that there's a purpose for it, but the other phrase, for a season. Oh, one of my favorite word phrases in the Bible, and it's found throughout the Bible, and it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Do you know anyone can handle something for a moment? It, it could be some horrible things, but you can handle it for a moment. For example, I used to draw blood. And it's amazing to see the people who would come and be scared. You know that most people who were scared when I was in the military? Pilots, special forces... They would work themselves to the frenzy. If they're a pilot and they pass out, they can no longer fly. So they work themselves up to a thing. I'm not going to pass out. I'm not going to pass out. I'm so... But they worry themselves to the place where they're about ready to pass out before I even touch them. And they're worried. Oh, this is going to hurt me. This is going to hurt me. It's only going to be for a moment. Just a moment. You can handle anything for a moment. So I would take the big burly guy with the muscles that seemed to be ready to rip through the uniform. He put it there and he's shaking. It's just going to be a moment. A moment. And of course, we get it done. I usually can distract them. I'm waiting. Come on. Come. I'm done. That was it. You know, so many of our trials, when we look back and say, that was it. We made it so much of a big deal. That was it? Why do we say that? Because it was only for a moment. It was there. And when you're in the moment, it could seem intense. It's gone. That's a wonderful phrase. It came to pass. For a season. The trial of your faith. Notice as we see it again. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing 
of Jesus Christ. We saw the assurance of our salvation. We spoke about the trial of our faith. One last thing here. The appearing of our Savior. The appearing of our Savior. One of the disheartening things that we've seen in our generation is a coldness to the second appearing of Jesus Christ. To the idea that Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again. It is a reality. And that one day you're going to face him. Oh, to understand that Jesus Christ is coming back because he loves us. He's coming back to return for us. Now remember, Peter is writing to a group of people who are suffering. A group of people who are going through trials. And so what does he do to encourage them? Jesus is coming back. What you're going through right now, it's a trial of your faith. And by the way, that's precious to Jesus. But one day he's coming back. And he's taking you from this place. Because you understand you're only here for a moment. And Jesus is coming back. This is our hope. It spoke about this in verse 3. That this is our lively hope. It is our living hope. Jesus Christ is coming again. It's a reality. It hasn't come yet. But it is a reality. Jesus Christ is coming again. This is our great hope. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're putting our confidence in. This is what we're thinking about. That this world is not our final destination. If you've accepted Jesus your Savior. But he's got something better planned for us. We have so much more to look forward to. Because Jesus Christ is coming back. You know the the thing that the folks are missing out who no longer concerned about Jesus Christ is they're missing out on this great hope. They look in this world and they see the today, they see the now, but they're missing out that Christ is coming back. And the, when we're looking at Christ, it changes the way that we live. When Christ comes back, it changes what we do. When we realize that Christ is coming back, it makes us more prepared. You know, <laughs> it's almost like a um, teenagers. Teenagers are good. I was one. I think you were one once too. And uh, <laughs> there was a place that we lived that town was an hour away, which is pretty good for teenagers. Like parents, my parents would give me a list of things to do. And like most teenagers, you try to guesstimate where the parents are going to be. Now, this is before smartphones, really before cell phones. So there was no tracking devices, no other things. You had to make your best guess. And so what you do as a teenager is waste all that time until right before they come back. And then you try to scramble the best you can to get everything that they gave you on the list done. And, and it's only half done because you're trying to scrap it together. People treat the second coming of Jesus Christ the same way. Jesus Christ coming back, sure, that's great, that's wonderful. And it doesn't affect them. But if they realize that Jesus Christ is coming back imminently. May I also pause to remind you that nowhere in the Bible says the Bible that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. That's not a biblical phrase. But it does say he's coming back suddenly. There's a difference. 
When it says he's coming back soon, it's giving us a timeline. When he says he's coming back suddenly, that means there's no warning. There are no more signs, no more wonders, no more things that have to be fulfilled. Jesus Christ, when he comes, it's here. That changes. If you are looking for signs, it's almost like looking at the clock. I got two more hours and I'm good before I have to start working. Well, Jesus Christ can come back at any time. He could be done before I'm done. <laughs> he could come back at any time. Realizing that, you don't have a lot of time to use. You don't know how much you have. No one is guaranteed a tomorrow. This changes everything in our life. If we're looking forward to His coming, we need to get to the place that we're looking at Him. Remember, the world scoffs at this. They laugh at the idea that Jesus Christ is coming back. But for us, this is our great hope. We were thankful for the time that we got salvation. But the forgiveness of our sins, period, is not our hope. Our hope is in a person. Jesus Christ is coming back. And so we see this idea to strengthen ourselves in the second coming. Strengthen ourselves in the coming of Jesus Christ. That now, just for a moment... Let's look to the Lord. Let's trust in Him. Let's depend upon Him knowing that He is coming back and live like He could come back at any time. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.